1: So dreams. Yeah. (laughs) So,
0: okay. So seeing our dreams, right? And I feel like that's a big phrase. And I think that's also actually a great encapsulation about your other two spheres of work, right? Because you work in the, you know, helping, you know, political groups with their campaign message. You know, there's a lot of dreams that are actually on screen on video that you're doing there, but also a lot of the societal change work that you're doing to help people in different countries and uh, stand up for Singapore as well. Um, there's also a lot of dreams, right, that people are seeing, not necessarily screened, but coming to life, right? Um, so tell us more about, at least on the societal change side, like, what was it like to start building uh, Stand Up for Singapore?
1: It was great. It was in the year where I was going through a personal development course and weekly we'd be asked, what are you too afraid to do and "And why wouldn't you do it, right? And suddenly there's this sense of like, yeah, I get so angry seeing Singaporeans get down on a, a country that is really very prosperous, very blessed, has so much resource. And, and the way we talk online sometimes sounds like we're powerless and without hope right and i i just found it incongruent but i found myself getting angry so often and i wasn't sure what the anger was about uh then i realized actually my anger was just around the fact that we weren't doing anything with everything we have right we were just putting out words and and telling stories about how we were powerless which was so strange to me yeah so a bunch of friends and i were doing a bible study we were and this bible study was very different from the regular ones, which were more like listening comprehension. This one was asking, like, when you look around you, right, when you see your community, what are the gaps do you see? Uh, and what can you do to get into those gaps and do something real? And suddenly there was um, there was this incident on the MRT, right, where uh, auntie versus some young lady were arguing and it got really big. And for the first time, it became a social media event because STOMP had just come out, right? Uh, The SPH uh, gossip and uh, and outrage site, right? And people started posting videos of this argument, right? And and it it was like the first time we saw an interpersonal breakdown happen on such a large scale, like like everyone was in on it, right? And, And we noticed that after that, when we stepped onto the train, there was this like, strange discomfort that we felt, right? That people were more quiet, more withdrawn, almost like they were afraid of just showing themselves in public. And it was a whole bunch of us independently thinking, yeah, this is, th- some, some chill has fallen upon you know, Singapore. So we, we decided, okay, let's do something, right? What, what about that event changed the mood on the train and what could we say to bring us back to where we were yeah so um, we started Stand Up for Singapore we uh, invited a whole bunch of young people to go on the trains and have conversations with strangers and say hey you know um, you could be my auntie or you could be my uncle right and and how how are you feeling right now just initiating a conversation among strangers and it was beautiful right we saw 400 people show up at youth park Right, and and we brief them and we send them out, and conversations are happening, right, and and connections are happening, and I think it was for us a very beautiful day, and not only that, it got noticed. Uh, I think PM Lee uh, caught wind of it and he talked about it d- during the National Day rally, right, and then we went, okay, this is interesting, right, yeah, and in that same year, we that that first event gave us courage to intervene around uh, the bus strikes that happened. Uh, I think some drivers from China were very upset and then they refused to drive, right? And that created a whole series of social media responses about, again, foreigner-local issues. But one thing we noticed was that as much as people were complaining, they were still taking public transport, right? So whatever anger you feel, you, you still go and you still expect the bus to pull up. So we thought, why not on Christmas Day, we get folks who are taking the bus to just write a thank you card to the drivers. Lah. Right? So in 2012, Christmas Day, again, a whole bunch of youths went out. We handed out cards to people, asked them to just say something nice to this driver who's driving you around on a public holiday. right. And and again, it was a beautiful day. Yeah. So it started with these very kind of meta campaigns, very like, um, they're not very dark and, and gritty kind of issues. They were more about how we are with each other, right? And how we are with certain groups, like, say, the bus drivers and such. Now they're called bus captains, right? Yeah. And just examining what our relationship is to each other in the public space. Yeah.
0: Wow. That's uh, even I didn't know about all these things that you've done. Um, and I think they mean something, right, to something. And I got to ask, you know, so what's what movie does Singapore have you know, playing on every, you know, you know, because, you know, I just got to ask. Right. So, you know, you talk about movies, about dreams and screen, you know, and you're talking about the movie that Singaporeans have. Right. You know. Um, I'm wondering what you would, what it, how would you describe the movie that every Singaporeans have on the back of their heads, inside their minds, on a day-to-day basis?
1: Okay, I, I, I think I'm going to share my opinion, and I have to say this is my opinion. I think like if you were to look at individual lives, because I've been coaching a lot and I, I get to hear stories from different people about what they're going through, a lot of it is a family drama. A lot of it is about maybe young adults or even adults trying to figure out who they are in reference to their parents. Um, What they want in reference to maybe a culture that has valued their academic prowess more than anything else. And kind of funneled into a life of achievement, right, which as a child, they may not have chosen. And now as an adult, they are reaping the results. Yeah, so I do meet a lot of folks who sometimes go, you know, I'm successful by any measure, I have the job that uh, I was told was a good job, right? But I'm feeling kind of lost or maybe even really unhappy, right? And they wonder where their choice mattered in the journey, right? And and it does track back to family system or even the larger culture of uh, meritocracy and and, and achievement. Yeah. So on in the personal I see a lot of that story On the macro I think And I wrote about this In this essay I had to write For the birthday book Like I kind of see Singapore As a traumatised child That for a long time We didn't own our identity Right We were A product of a business deal Between the British and Malaya Then After Maybe a hundred plus years Of that Uh Suddenly, and of course, within the hundred plus, there's so much uh, impact of like segregation within the colonial system, being told we were, you know, subjects to another power, right? Uh, and and suddenly, like being told, therefore, we belong to something that we have never seen, almost, right? Like this this power of kingdom, yeah. Then suddenly, we are taken over by the Japanese in a very violent and brutal way. Right Only to be liberated again a few years later, only to get uh, dumped by the British when they uh, exited, and then in a very short marriage to Malaya, only to get ejected again, ejected or left, right? Yeah, so for a good chunk of our history, we didn't own our story. Right? And in 1965 and onwards, a lot of it was survival. So, if Singapore were a child, right, trying to grow up in all of that for a good chunk of our history, we were not a wanted child. We were not loved or we were not safe. yeah. And by the time we get to define ourselves, I think we're in this pretty severe state of survival, and then all of us are born into it. <laughs> right so so if you you draw that line, right. In the continuum of the Singapore story, we, we are in the brighter days, but from very dark past, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I I don't want to make light of the suffering of of the past. In fact I I'm trying to understand it. Right? But I'm also trying to draw a link that if we grow up in that culture of always fearing for our survival, how does that impact our sense of self now? right and what is our story if we're going to go forward what is that powerful courageous story i don't know what that is just yet but i think in our little interventions when we do our small interventions out there we stand up or when we go overseas and try and be generous and 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 give to those who truly have it worse right i think we get to see little glimpses of who we can be and not just run that survival story all the time because I'm sure, you know, it, it impacts the way you see yourself to always be told that you don't have enough. Yeah.
0: Wow. Uh, that's that's deep, right? Because you know, we're talking not just about history, but not only about culture, but also uh, some of the decisions that have been made in the past and uh the decisions that we have to make in the future that's grounded off that core emotional yeah. reality, right? The narrative reality. And I think what's interesting is that it feels like you and your work are choosing to try to emerge something new, right? a stronger or future oriented self, right? Because you say stand up for Singapore, you talk about the first part of the emotional reaction and reality and then the second half of the action and improvement, right um, to resolve, right? you know um you know, talk earlier about how to do that, right at a deeper, more true level so I'm just kind of curious about that do you feel like what's that story right what's that newer story that acknowledges this reality but also something that fits where we are today in the 21st century
1: so again like on the intra right so I'll I'll talk at two levels like on the intra when I talk to folks and when I coach folks usually the story is where do you want to go right and then they start the goal set They'll set a goal and we work on that. But there's always going to be that moment where the goal is there, but then there's an unwillingness to move towards it. Maybe there's a wall or there's some narrative of fear that shows up, right? And we get stuck there, right? The client gets stuck there. And at that point, I'll just, I used to be just stuck with the client, but in the last few years, the question would now be, so what's the story about this? Right, what's the story about the fear? And then we go backwards and just have them talk about where was the earliest point of this fear? And then they begin to see the echoes of the past lah, showing up. That if goal is, say, a new position in company or or some financial outcome, right? The fear of winning, right, the fear of actually achieving it, tends to come with some echo from the past, right? Someone's voice saying that that's not really what you deserve to get or uh, are you really sure you want that right and usually we find that this voice isn't their own so I think in it's been evident that in some ways yes we limit ourselves but the limitation isn't just our own right that's the voice of our ancestors in a sense or the voice of our culture our families that that comes in and says this change isn't for you so part of reaching for that future that we we want that beautiful future is also maybe an invitation to say look at the things that you don't want to look at so that by the time you come to the cusp of it you're not held back anymore you you understand where your fears come from and you can decide do i want this fear to be th- true for me or shall i just give it back to you know my parents or give it back to my culture and say, that's, that's yours and not mine. The tough part of even doing, say, a, a political message is how detailed a dream do you want to paint for everyone? Because the truth is, everyone may not join with your dream, right? But there are certain pillars or, or points that people will align to, right? Safety, prosperity... But aspiration to what is often the challenge of that grand story for everyone. To me, I think the work is really, if you were to ask me, the work is for every Singaporean to do their inner work, right? Look at what's holding them back, what tilts them towards this lack of safety that tilts them towards racism, let's say. Because to me, racism is about safety. It's not about a horrible person who hates another person because of their skin colour. I think that's too simple, yeah. And in Singapore especially, so you go to anyone you ask, you know, do, do you think racism is bad? Most people will say, yeah, it's bad. Yeah, but why does it exist or persist? I think because we don't feel safe and we reach for the easy reasons to draw our lines. And if we can get people to do their own work, I think the easy stuff like race or the easy stuff like class, they we can let go of those things and, and begin to do our work towards the future we want. Yeah.
0: Wow. Um. That's really deep, right? Because you're talking about how you think about it on a one-on-one coaching basis about how being able to articulate the past helps, you know, free you to enter the future. And then of course, at another level, you're talking about it, scaling that out, right? To like, you know, every Singaporean doing that work on themselves. And then thirdly, of course, you're talking about you know the 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 meta overacting dream, right? Where yeah. you're articulating and talking about that message. Um, so you know it feels like, of course, you know the dream, of course, is you know for every Singaporean to go through uh, and have the opportunity to access a coach, right? Um, so that's one level. And I level, I think you're talking about something interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Which, which is like, what is the Singapore dream, right? Um, because, you know, we know what the American dream is, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, underdog story. It's like rocky, uh, you know, it's start from the bottom. You work, work your way to the top. Everybody's a fair shot if you work hard and get there. Um, and to some extent, that's also like the more... Constructing parts of it, right? You know, the, you know the traditional view of like a lawn and a house and a white picket fence. You know, which is transforming today. But still, I think a lot of people will look to America and say, like, you know, America is a dream, right? Um, and that is, attracts so many people to yeah. immigrate, right, to America, right? Um, and I think, to some extent, I think China is starting to articulate that, mm-hmm. right? They're trying to articulate the China dream that Xi Jinping was talking about. So. What do we think, you know, looking ahead, like what is that new Singapore dream, right? Mm. You know, I think it used to be the five C's, right? You know, uh, for those who don't, like what cash, credit card, car, country club, condo, and yeah. uh, country club, right? Exactly. So those are the five C's. So it's like a material dream. And uh, yeah. I think I watched quite a few fun movies about that, which kind of goes back to like your point about, you know, traumatized children who in poverty, who felt like material security will bring spiritual and personal security, right? And we're kind of talking about it as like, we've also progressed beyond that to some extent, right? Um, Not consistently, not for everyone. Uh, We acknowledge that. It's just that, you know, we're not 1965, right? So how do you think about that new Singapore dream?
1: Well, I mean, if we started with the American dream, we can be pretty confident to say that they haven't gotten it yet. Right. In fact, it's probably worse for them right now than it was in the 50s and 60s, right? Um, but everyone needs a target, right? And the easy targets are material. We did this little comic about the boy who lost his heart that for a lot of men in Singapore, they are told, you know, you can't express your emotions. They're, they're scolded or even uh, punished through caning if they cry too much, right? And then there's this dissociation with themselves and, and this obsession with things that happen next, right? That for a lot of men, we we don't have access to our intrapersonal story and then all these objects that are in front of us, whether it's, it's a thing to buy or a, a position to attain, become important somehow. And in the comic, it, is, it isn't until the heart kind of gets invited back in and the, the little boy or now this grown-up man gets to get in touch with himself, it isn't until that point that he can say, well, I'm alone or I'm afraid or I I need a friendship, right? That he begins to to know who he is and what he needs. So what is our collective dream? I think on the grand, on, on the macro level, I think... We are in that place again where the world isn't safe anymore. So I think it'll be easier to say, let's go work towards that safety again. Let's go work towards a, a prolonged, uh, sustained prosperity because things are up in the air now, right? And I think we can distract ourselves again with that, right? And and not that it's not important, but work towards this uh, common safety again. I, I I do think we are close to. Not exactly where 1965 was, but you know we're we're seeing that the world has changed, and and we need to figure out our place in it now. That deeper thing of knowing who we are and what we need, and not seeking supplements in terms of things to buy or things to get. We can get distracted by it. We may continue to be distracted by it, but my invitation is for people to look, right? Because again, do you want to be Realising after you've gotten that thing That promotion That car or whatever And then it's a few days later And you realise Actually Nothing's really changed for me I'm still feeling lonely Or afraid Or in need of A good friend Yeah That's my dream for Singapore Right It's so easy to find the supplement Or the idol Or the distraction Doing the self work I think is Is so rewarding Because after that we get to know who we are.
0: Yeah, uh, that's a beautiful dream and it's a small dream, yet it's a powerful dream, right? Um, And one interesting thing is that, you know, you talk about this from someone who is effective change from, you know, the social work that you're doing, right? On the ground, on the community, also in your daily work as a coach. Um, And yet you're also doing that large, you know, production, right? That large, video slash campaign that is very different right it is is a large it's a big dream right it's a grand story in that sense or uh, attempts to be in uh you know you and i were chatting about this like you know we wish that you know dropping a million bucks into a video gives you the answer right It changes everybody's dreams for the better right uh so i'm just kind of curious how you think about what the work is there and what the right approach for those larger campaigns should be mindful about.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I think I was I was kind of framing it as the big lie, right? That somehow if you spend a million dollars, create some really moving video about, say, racism, people will watch it and go, okay, we've solved it, right? Uh, I don't think anyone in Singapore believes that, but maybe we still kind of do deep down inside that somehow we are pushing against these persistent old issues by creating media to present our dream of it I I think there's it's a fair effort right to, to present the reality you want right but do we ever change because someone tells us to that would be my question right and and if we look at our own lives right human beings are very resistant to change right Because change brings a lot of fear, a lot of challenge. And me watching a two-minute video isn't going to give me any assurance that I can navigate my change by myself, right? Because there's going to be so much I maybe need hand-holding around or need some friendship to navigate the emotional turmoil that change may bring. So for me, it is about community. It is about friendship. It's about people who want the same things and are willing to sit through difficult moments to get there, right? So if you have someone who believed very strongly ideas from their family about a certain race who says, now, I don't want to hold those stories and I want to learn how to be with my friends who are of a different race, right? Then that's going to lead to a community effort that involves discomfort, right? Because for the ones who are hurt, the ones who are marginalized, right, would they be willing to sit with this person and then have that conversation, right? Would they be willing to even hear the misconceptions and say, no, that's not true, or, you know, because if you look at the way social media handles race issues, there's so much outrage, there's so much, Narrative of separation that if even if you say something wrongly, there's no room for recovery after almost everything is a tripwire to separation and erasure. Yeah, so no video is going to help you navigate that. You know, it's going to take a lot of patience, a lot of love, and a desire for a different Singapore for us to get there. So it will take community and this community needs to be made up of people who are humble enough to see that they have their own darkness and that someone who's trying to make amends, someone who's trying to join with them, they may not look so great on the outside, but maybe we can take that step of faith of of wanting to be together as, as the first point of contact. They don't need to be perfect to enter in. I think that's what I'm saying right or else if that bar is so high then we'll never come together we'll never become a community yeah so yeah I I'm a bit not so hip with the crowd on this point that that I don't think outrage I don't think what we're seeing in terms of the discourse from the West around race is exactly what we need you know we didn't have the 200 years of slavery we don't have The police brutality I think there's Room to say It's a bit different It's not as violent Yes it is painful But let's not Take everything wholesale And then say Oh this is our circumstance Right Yeah so To me it's community A community of people Who do their own work Who are humble enough To know that They've made mistakes And are ready to tackle What's going on in Singapore That's how we get To our dream
0: Yeah Yeah that's beautiful right A part about People don't change because they're told to change, right? <laughs> you know, um, but it's really about the community and um, the activation of why that dream is appealing, right? Fundamentally, right? I think there is that desire, right? I feels like, you know, there is a desire in Singaporeans for that bigger, broader, more open, more confident posture, right? Um, it's very much like we've had a past that has been tough, And we've overcome this so far, and we can now approach um, the world stage, right, from a place of, you know, generosity and uh, confidence, right? Uh, Not arrogance, uh, not false humility, not insecurity, not anxiety, but from a place of um, confidence and self-awareness about what we're good at and what we have to do differently, right? And I think that's the dream, I think, for so many change-makers in Singapore,
1: I don't know, uh, you and I know so many amazing people in Singapore and we love the work they do, we we know we have it in us, right? I guess part of it is like, we are also in a place, I think, where Singaporeans have dreams that are way bigger than what a little island in Southeast Asia maybe should have, <laughs> you know? Like, I talk to my friends and they, their aspirations are first world, uh, American even European aspirations, right? And you look at where we are and what's around us and it's very unusual, right? That we are such an anomaly where we are and when we think, we think beyond Southeast Asia into the world very naturally. Yeah. So there's that that is going on, right? There's this privilege that we do have that we, we see ourselves legitimate, able to go onto world stage and contribute. I think that's something to be grateful for. I I think part of me I I just ask that we ground ourselves also in Southeast Asia, right? To see what's around us, to contribute where we can, to recognize that what we have truly is kind of exceptional. Not in an arrogant way, but like like it's strange, right? Like you go up, you go north, you go south. There, there the struggles uh, people going through that are very different, and exacerbated right now because of COVID. I was coaching someone from KL, young lady who's working there. And and they're in full lockdown, right? And and the things she is facing is so much different from us right now. Yeah. So what is this big dream? Uh how do we get there? Yeah. I really don't know how to answer it, I I am i I'm afraid. Yeah. Uh, but I think in the meantime, I want to stay grounded, I want to stay connected, I want to Talk to people about what they're going through, whether in Singapore or overseas, and I feel like in that I can find things I can apply myself to, and be useful and help someone feel a little better about themselves. At the end of the day, I don't think I answered your question. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not a
0: question that's really answerable, right? You yeah, know, it's more like a dance, a conversation, and this question that we can you know explore together. And I think it still has to be lived through at best, you know, and at worst, you know, kind of like something that we have to work on uh, every day, right? Um, So, you know, coming, starting to wrap things up here, you know, Wally. So, you know, as in your work as, you know, a storyteller and as uh, someone who's been impacting, um, you know, Singapore and Southeast Asia through your work in, you know, digital media and communications um, and storytelling. Um, you know, you must have had some tough times as well, right? Over the past, you know, and he kind of like kind of hinted at them along the way. Um, I was just ha- would love to hear, maybe, you want you know, a story about when you f- had that adversity, how you overcame it, and how you chose to be brave.
1: Yeah, being brave. Um, I mean, I almost drowned in a riptide once, and I realized, in in the midst of almost drowning, I get very calm, <laughs> strangely, um, but. There was this moment in, an, in another time when I was in Kalimantan and it was uh, part of that first trip to give out masks and, and figure out what to do. Uh, I had stayed behind to give more workshops on what is the haze, you know, why is it different from other problems that uh, folks face, why is it a surgical mask wouldn't be enough to filter out the particles because that was what the government was asking people to use a surgical mask in the midst of a PSI 2008-2009 day, right? And all these surgical masks had so many gaps and it didn't make sense. I had stayed behind. I was in my hotel room. Um, I had given out all my gear, all my air purifiers to the partners on the ground. And then I was told that the airport was closed on the day I was supposed to fly, right? And then I was stuck there for another three days in that room trying to survive in that room with no safety equipment for myself. yeah. So I started to improvise. I, I used tape to seal up the gaps in the balcony door. I I didn't have air purifier, so I taped over the air conditioning vent, the intake vent with a pillowcase and used that as a, a cotton filter for the air. And I discovered, oh, it works because I, uh, I still had my measuring equipment. It actually cut the haze down by half in my room. Yeah, so there are all these things I was doing, just trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to make it for the next day? Because I kept thinking, okay, tomorrow you'll open, tomorrow you'll open. And it kept going on. Uh, At one point, I had done everything I could do. I sat on my bed, right? And I felt myself freeze, right? I felt my whole body just tense up. I couldn't move. I couldn't breathe. And all I could imagine was... Uh, my own death. I, I was just saying, oh, I'm, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And I think it went on for a good five to ten minutes, right? Just sitting there, feeling like I had done everything I could and I couldn't do anymore. And if I couldn't get out, I was going to die. It came, it took over, and then it passed, right? And after that, you know, there, there was a lot of anxiety, there was a lot of crying even. Um, But After that came and went I realised In that moment I had felt What all my Friends were feeling In Kalimantan The ones who couldn't leave This is their everyday Right They They can't breathe the air That is around them They can't protect their children They They're paralysed And they're in fear Yeah Um, I don't think it was bravery I felt after But rather Empathy Right That this is what they're going to be facing. And that gave me resolve around how can I solve this in a more sustainable way, right? Because you can't wear a mask to sleep, right? You can't give a mask to a child, right? Uh, pregnant women are not supposed to wear masks because of the, the oxygen deprivation it creates. So, yeah, the whole idea for a shelter, a hay shelter, came out of that moment of great fear and... What I learned later was great empathy. So I do think to be brave is is really to feel your fear, right? To know that this is happening and then make a choice around that next. Yeah. Um because there's wisdom in the body, right? That that there isn't enough air for you right now. And I needed to know that. Because prior to that I was like, you know, really comfortable in my equipment, right? Um but now, yeah, I was Really, maybe grounded around what the people in Kalamanta needed and and I wanted to be a part of changing that, yeah,
0: wow, that was a really touching and powerful story um, not because of the challenge, but of the empathy you know it created for you, right, and how it changed you. Well, uh, I think there's a good way to start wrapping up the show uh, here. Uh, And I think there were three things that really struck me um, about, you know, what you shared. Uh, I think the first, of course, was talking a little bit about, you know, storytelling and, you know, how movies are our dreams, right? You know, come to life uh, and the catharsis. And so I really appreciate, I think, that take, right? <laughs> the insider take on storytelling and movies and all of that. Uh, and I thought that was as uh, hopefully a good window for people to start exploring and being more thoughtful about um, why and how they're consuming whatever they're consuming in terms of content, uh, movies, or ideas. But I think the second thing is that I also really appreciated your take on the Singapore dream, right? <laughs> Which is what has been the dream or nightmare, Uh, that, you know, uh, people have um, their fears, their concerns, their hopes uh, over the past 50 years. uh, And also what we see, you know, could be the green shoots for a new dream to emerge. And I think your tips around how to uh, articulate it and how to nurture it to life, uh, which hopefully will be a roadmap for other people in the new media space, as well as the social change space. Um, and lastly, I think thank you so much for sharing that um, last story about, you know, I think bravery and empathy um, and resonance. Um, and, you know, I think, you the story at the end felt tight because of, you know, we were wrapping up the show. But I think you articulated bravery in other earlier parts of the show, right? Where you talk very much about how do we as you know change makers and leaders and community workers um, and volunteers and human beings really um, seek to harness um, and feel that empathy right um, and have that be a source of strength uh, for the future rather than um, a source of pain and I thought that was as a really um, enjoyable hour just hearing your story Wally.
1: Yeah, it was great chatting, man. And once we can meet again, let's go for Tim dim sum. <laughs> Can't <laughs> wait for dim
0: sum. Thank yeah, you so much, man. Wally, for coming to the show.
1: Yeah, thanks, man. I'll catch you soon.
0: Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share this episode with friends and colleagues. Sign up at www.jeremyow.com to discuss this episode with other community members in our forum. Stay well and stay brave.